Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Monday, April 26th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The Chiefs pulled off a major trade on Friday afternoon, obtaining offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. from the Baltimore Ravens. Several draft picks also were involved. We're here to talk about it today with Chiefs beat writers Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell. I think from a Kansas City standpoint, this was a straight-up winner for the Chiefs. They filled their biggest need with a veteran entering the final year of his rookie contract, and this means the Chiefs don't have to go shopping in the draft to find next year's starter at left tackle. We break down the trade and what it means for this week's draft, well beyond the Chiefs not having a first-round selection on today's show. So let's get started with Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell. So it's Friday, and we're promised uh, Brett Veach at originally, what, 9 a.m.? Is that right? And then then they kick it down the road to 11 a.m. and then 11.30, and finally at about 12.15, we get Brett Veach, as we do every year about this time, talking about the draft and what's happened in the offseason, because it's the first time we will have talked to Brett Veach since the since the Super Bowl, and I think now we know the reason for the delay in Veach's appearance to, to the media. Uh, so it was about 90 minutes after Beach stopped talking that the news trickled out that the Chiefs had made the trade for Orlando Brown Jr. I always put the junior in because his dad was Orlando Brown, played in the NFL. But Herbie, um, I don't know if – Surprised because, you know, Veach talked for 30 minutes and, you know, and, and had to talk about the position generically. Um, but but there was always the possibility the Chiefs were going to do something before the draft at that position, wasn't there? Yeah, I thought there, you're absolutely correct. There was a possibility. I didn't think it was going to be at this magnitude. <laughs> I was thinking, OK, you're just going to sign a veteran free agent to a one-year deal like an Alejandro Villanueva or, or a Russell Okun, but to pull the trigger for Orlando Brown, a two-time pro bowler, he doesn't turn 25. Well, he turns 25 on May the 2nd, the day after the end of the draft. So you're getting a young guy in the final year of his contract and you've got options there. You know, you can franchise him, tag, franchise tag him. You can, uh, you know, hope to work out some kind of contract extension, but the Chiefs have time to do this deal. Uh, I thought it was a phenomenal move. Now, now all of a sudden, and, you know, rest in peace, my mock drafts <laughs> and everyone's mock drafts. There's a reason why we call this speculation season. But, you know, it's it's fascinating to me because they knew the offensive line was an issue after the Super Bowl. And they set about addressing it. You know, they, they, they were in the sweepstakes for Trent Williams uh, until the last minute. But, you know, to get a two-time Pro Bowler, a player of Orlando Brown's caliber, I, I think it really addresses a lot of needs. And now you have the flexibility to go best player available in the draft. You no longer have to say tackle is a must have. You've got flexibility now, and that's what the draft is all about. You got to have flexibility. Okay, well, he's he's played most of his uh, short NFL career at right tackle, and the Chiefs obviously have the need at on on the left side. He did play, you know, he did play left tackle this year after the injury. So most, I think most of the games this past season were at left tackle. Um, but that was part of his reason for wanting a trade. Wasn't it Sam? He, he wanted to play that position and the Ravens, um, you know, they, they had somebody there. Yeah. Um, Ronnie Stanley got hurt last year. So 
I'm, first of all, I'm going to address the elephant in the room with all of our podcast listeners that I am sick. <laughs> Sam is playing hurt today. It's the reason for my voice. But, um, yeah, I mean, Ronnie Stanley's their left tackle, and he, he was hurt twice last year. So Orlando Brown Jr. actually played twice as many snaps at left tackle as he did at right tackle last year, filling in for Ronnie Stanley. And he didn't allow a sack um, when he was at left tackle. Ronnie Stanley's back this year, so he's playing left tackle. And um, Orlando Brown Jr. actually said, I mean, Blair, you mentioned his father, his late father. He said at one point, play left tackle. You're a left tackle. Um, that's what he told NFL.com last month, I think, when he talked about this situation. Um, but but two things really struck me about this deal. The first one was that um, the, the, the cost. I, I thought, you know, I mean, Sam Mellinger actually did the work to go through the Jimmy Johnson formula, the, the draft pick formula. It works out to basically a mid-second round pick if you use that formula. I thought he would be more expensive than that um, because left tackles, as we've seen this offseason, are difficult to come by. The second thing that struck me was the Chiefs approached their left tackle this entire offseason. When we heard from Brett Beach on Friday, it was the first time we've heard from him since they struck out in free agency. And we thought they struck out in free agency. Um, But really, the only left tackle they pursued was Trent Williams. And Brett Beach said, we weren't going to go sign a guy just to sign a guy. It had to be the right guy. And so they turn to Orlando Brown once they hear he's available and he's the right guy. I, I still wonder where this left tackle position would have gone if he wasn't available via trade. And also I would think that the Ravens would have recognized that. What are the chiefs going to do a left tackle if they don't get this guy? And I thought maybe the Ravens should have had a little bit of the upper hand in those negotiations, which is why the cost surprises me. And they traded a guy within the same conference, which was to me the most mind boggling thing. You know, you, you make one of your, your top competitors, even more formidable by helping them address a need. And so that was the other thing that really struck me about that deal too, because if the Ravens want to catch the Chiefs, why would you send one of your top offensive linemen to a team in need of a tackle? Yeah, I think that's a great point just because um, we saw the Ravens last season, I thought, focused too much on on the Chiefs. You know, they, they got speed on defense and it seemed like they were trying to match up with the Chiefs, at, you know, in a, in a potential playoff matchup. And this year, I mean, Herbie's right. I mean, they're they're letting the top team in the AFC address their biggest need. And you do wonder if maybe um, they've just completely changed their approach and say, hey, we're just going to be the best football team we can be and not worry who we have to, to, to beat to get there. But at the same time, I mean, we know a Patrick Mahomes-led team is going to be there. Like, it's going to be tough to get to the Super Bowl for the Baltimore Ravens without beating Kansas City at some point. The, the Ravens are, I, I admire their organization. I, I think, they, you know, just in Herbie, you've covered the NFL for a long time, and, and I've been on it now for several years. I, I think Baltimore is one of the better run organizations in the NFL. I don't think they do this deal with the Chiefs, as both of you suggested, you know, a, 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 a team that they have to see as their top rival in the AFC without believing a couple things, one, that maybe it was going to be really expensive to, to re-sign Orlando Brown after his rookie deal. Um, and also the, um, you know, just before we started recording this, I, I went on to the Peter King, the weekly notes package that he does, which is phenomenal. Um, I call it the Mellinger minutes of NFL notes packages. Um, but uh, slap in the face to Peter King. <laughs> 
<laughs> he broke down the trade in in terms of value and uh, and kind of what went into it and and uh, you referred to the the, the Sam's column and, and the in in the uh, you know the formula he did the Peter King did the same thing and and his net result was uh, it had to be it had to be ideal for both teams and uh, and in 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 his estimation it was I, I just think you know it's what both of you guys said. Um, Baltimore dealing with, you know, filling the biggest need of what they think is their biggest rival. You know, this wasn't the Chiefs dealing with the Lions. You know, they're not dealing with a team that they were going to fleece um, or any team could fleece, to be honest with you. Um, this is the Ravens. So uh, so the Ravens must believe. I didn't see any reaction out of Baltimore. I just didn't read any this weekend. But they must think that they they did okay with this as well. Um, the, so the bottom line is the Chiefs are now down to um, six draft picks. Let's, the trade, by the way, was Orlando Brown. Um, the, 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 the Chiefs get Orlando Brown, uh, a second-round pick this year, which gives the, gives the Chiefs two in the second round, and a sixth-rounder in 2022. The Ravens get, obviously, the Chiefs' first-round pick, number 31 overall this year. Their third, a third and a fourth round pick this year, and a is it a fifth round pick? In, it's a fifth, correct. In twenty twenty two, so you know you, you're right. I'm, I'm fascinated by that formula, and uh, it came out to where this this trade average. The Chiefs ended up getting a, a left tackle in exchange for what amounts to a pick that would fall between forty four and forty five, according to Peter King, and. So it seems like a good deal for the Chiefs. But again, I, I got to think the Ravens felt like they did okay as well. Um, but it does, you know, it, it does give, I think that with two second round picks, that's, that's a nice little, that's, you know, it's, Chiefs aren't going to be, they're not going to be active on day one, I don't think, right, Herbie? I mean, <laughs> you never know. Uh, but two, two second round picks, that's not a bad place to be. Yeah, two, two picks in the top 100, you know, even in the third round. you can, Now you got a, a few more picks in the top 100. So you, you're still set up yourself. You're still set up nicely. Uh, third round, what am I talking about? They shipped that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, okay, two picks in the top 100. You, you can't beat that because even though Brett Veach, and, you know, before I get into this point, kudos to him for, for having this, this tremendous poker face with us. <laughs> he knew this was stuff was going on in the background, and he – Patiently answered questions about the offensive line and how he saw everything and never let on that this stuff was going on. I thought that was tremendous. Uh, but, you know, he, he did mention the offensive line depth. He did mention wide receivers, you know, linebackers, et cetera. And, this, and so when you have those kinds of – when you have that draft ammunition in the top 100, you still are going to come out with a blue chip player. You're still going to come out with a player if expected uh, he could contribute immediately. So they'll be able to find some talent. Yeah, this draft is kind of top heavy, Blair. I mean, there's a, there's some prospects that go in the deeper rounds because of the COVID season that elected to go back to school and get more film. And so, but the first two rounds are still very strong. And Brett Veach even mentioned that on Friday that the back end of the second round is is strong. And I actually back to Herbie's point. I think he already knew this deal was in the works, and then he emphasized, "So oh, I love the back end of the second round." Well, because now he's got two picks at the back end of the second <laughs> round. But I, I I thought that maybe some more picks would be in play for next year because of what I said. You know, the uh, next year, uh, uh, you know, a seventh round pick is probably as good as a fifth round pick this year because of the depth of this draft. After you get past that second day, you know, and you go to the fourth, fifth, sixth round. 
Um, so that's that's what's going to make this draft particularly interesting is they've they've got some picks and some good pockets, as you know a lot, a lot of the mock drafts guys like to say. And the one of the good pockets is in the fifties and sixties, and that's right where they're sitting with both their first two picks. And who's to say he's finished with dra- uh, with trades? I mean, since he's taken over as the general manager, he, he's engineered five draft draft trades, and he's always moving up. So he, he also has ammunition if he wants to do that. I, I think this is this is going to be a fascinating draft. Even though technically we might not be working on Thursday night, but you never know. You know, if they see someone they like, and he's mentioned that, you know, if, if they see someone they like, and he's flipping, they might, you know, they they have the ammo if they want to move back into the first round. I think the only way I could see a move like that was maybe earlier in the second round. I, I mean, of course, like Herbie mentioned, with Brett Veach, you never know. I mean, he's always capable of anything. I just think the fact that they only have six draft picks. We've talked a lot on, on this podcast about the fact that when Patrick Mahomes' contract escalates, you've got to surround him with cheaper talent. The way to do that is with draft picks. And so if they've only got six now, obviously it would cost them draft picks to move up. I can't see them wanting to get as low as five. I, I will say this. I'm going to use an analogy that my partner here, McDowell, will absolutely appreciate. I think if we've learned anything about Brett Veach, if he's in the big blind, He's capable of a squeeze play five bet with like Jack 10 suited. How many poker players out there can appreciate that one? <laughs> uh, so the Chiefs are, they're, they're picking 58 and 63, uh, and that's on Friday. And then they don't pick again until Saturday uh, if there are no other deals. And at that point, they'll have 144, that's in the fourth round, 175 and 181 in the fifth round, and 207 in, this, in round six. They made a late deal last year, right? In those later rounds, uh, then they for Bo Peep Keys, I believe. Uh, yep. I believe uh, they they just traded up a few spots in one of the late rounds because they thought uh, they thought enough of him. So um, you, you're right; you can never not pay attention just because the Chiefs are going to go into the draft without a first round, first and a third round pick or a seventh round pick. You never know what uh, what the Chiefs and Brett Beach are going to do. So. Uh, All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Uh, I want to talk about a couple other things when we come back. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKC offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell, and we're talking Chiefs and the Orlando Brown Jr. trade. Um, Herbie, this totally remakes the offensive line. Uh, this completes the remake of the offensive line. I mean, we're going to get five new starters from the beginning of the 2020 season and probably, uh, you know, on paper, you could be four or five new starters, depending on what Mike Remmers, how he's used, right? He might go from Super Bowl starting left tackle to the starting right tackle. He's, he's in the mix, but, you know, we did get to talk to Andy Reid and Brett Veach here in the last 
several days. And so we get to find out what they were thinking a little bit about the offensive line. And I was, you know, look, um, Andy Reid talked up Niang pretty big, right? And what they have in Lucas Niang would be opt out from last year, uh, was their third round pick out of TCU. So I, I guess it's possible that he, he could end up being the right tackle. He's certainly going to get a long look, I suspect, at that position. But with Joe Tooney and um, Kyle Long and Austin Blythe also uh, on the interior, you really could end up with a whole new starting offensive line. Yeah, and I think, you know, the biggest thing for us going into the draft and even as we prepared it to enter the meat of the offseason program, the biggest question obviously was the offensive line. You got Orlando Brown now at left tackle, we're projected at left tackle, Tooney at left guard, Austin Blythe at, at center. Now the battles, you can focus in on the right side. You know, unlike Chris Sims from Pro Football Talk, I can actually pronounce Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who is <laughs> returning. You know, and then you can look at him and probably he's going to be battling with Kyle Long. And then that right tackle is going to be probably between Lucas Nyang and Mike Remmers. And, you know, they also have a couple of other players that you can probably toss in the mix there. Martinez Rankin, uh, Andrew Wiley. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating look at that right side of the offensive line. But the left side, I think, is pretty much set. You know, of all the crap statistics that came out of the Super Bowl for the Chiefs, my favorite one was the 497 yards that Patrick Mahomes covered while trying to elude sacks and uh, and before he passed, right? So he ran for 497 yards, and that doesn't include, you know, the rushing yards that he, that he actually had. So um, it was, you know, we don't need to – relive the Super Bowl. What an offensive line disaster, maybe the worst offensive line play in a Super Bowl in, in, in the game's history. But, um, but Sam, I mean, talk about when Brett Beach has a notion about improving a position or a unit, man, he, he, he goes about his business, does he not? I mean, and the reason I bring that up is I'm thinking about the way they approach defense after the 2018 season. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the, the other interesting point about this offensive line issue is that that was not the group, of course, that they planned on having for a Super Bowl. They didn't have LDT. They didn't have Mitchell Schwartz. They didn't have Eric Fisher. But they're still sort of using that, – that's one of the, their methods going into this draft is that's why they draft best player available is because you never know by the end of the season what position you're actually going to need. So just, just go get the guy you want. And I asked him that on, on Friday and basically everything other than quarterback is on the table. I mean, we saw that last year with Clyde Edwards Hilaire, not a guy that we thought filled a position of need for the chiefs. Of course it ended up because Damian Williams opted out, but at the time it wasn't. And so I, I think what we saw from the offensive line is going to be in the chiefs back of the chiefs mind, not just to improve the offensive line, but as just a, a, a totality lesson that just go get the guys you want in the draft and worry about the positions later. I think that's a really good point. Um, and, and that's why I would not be surprised if when the draft comes along, I don't think it'll be in the second round, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Chiefs ended up taking an offensive lineman sometime in the draft. Uh, not at all. It's, it's a very deep class for offensive line. So I mean, between that and wide receiver, those are the two positions that I actually would be surprised if they're not repped in, somewhere in those six picks. Yeah, linebacker too. Got to toss in the linebacker there. They need a linebacker. That's the most interesting position because it's really thin uh, for the draft. But Herbie's right. I mean, that, that's the one position that they really talked about before this free agency began that they have not 
addressed at all. We haven't, we haven't, you know, heard from the, from the people we talked to that they've really been in that market this off season. So you kind of look to the draft and then you see it's kind of a thin linebacker class. Defensive end and wide receiver, however, um, especially wide receiver, deep, deep class for wide receivers. And then defensive end is probably a position of need uh, for the chiefs. Will will there be availability for them in the second round? Herbie? Oh yeah, absolutely. There'll be some guys in the second round. I like Basham from Wake Forest. I think he's a viable option. You know, someone who could slide down. I started to sound like Mel Kuyper. My goodness. <laughs> some of these projected mocks, you know, they, they, they do have Basham available in the second round. I think if you want them, you go get them. You know, the beauty of all this, once again, is the Chiefs have the ammunition. If they don't think the player they want is going to slide to them, go get them. And Veach has certainly shown in his history as a general manager of the Chiefs uh, that he is willing to do that. You know, I mentioned uh, the defense a little while ago, the, the previous defense. Uh, so after the 2018 season, the Chiefs lose the AFC title game to the Patriots at Arrowhead. And you look, it was an overtime loss. Um, so we all think it was just, and it was a nail biter of a game. If we all think if Patrick Mahomes had a chance and the offense had a chance uh, possession in overtime, they would have scored. But the Patriots ended up with almost 600 yards of total offense, and the Chiefs' defense was embarrassed that night. So gone from that team were Justin Houston, Eric Berry, D. Ford, you know, Allen Bailey, just a lot of the stars on defense. The Chiefs made a concerted effort to change the defense after that game, resulted in a Super Bowl triumph the next year. Again, I, I see them doing the same thing with the offensive line. They just they saw the big problem in the big game, and they addressed it. Um, it's We'll, we'll see what the result is, but that's just, look, at how do you not salute Brett Veach for, and the Chiefs organization for addressing what they identify as the biggest problem and just going after it, going after it. It's, um, it, it's pretty cool to see. Hey, what about, um, uh, speaking of going back to Orlando Brown for a second, the, 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 the prospect of the Chiefs franchise tagging him um, after his year with the Chiefs, you know, he's, Last year of his rookie contract is going to play under that. And, I, you know, Chiefs, I'm, I'm sure, likely would, you know, want to sign him up for the long term. Um, would the franchise tag be a smart move at that point just to, you know, give another year of, of negotiating and, and trying to work something out with him? I think it would be because the, if you're going to take care of anyone right now, money-wise, it's got to be Tyron Matthew. Uh, you know, Brett Veach actually mentioned that. Uh, at his at this press conference or a Zoom call last week, that you know you, they'll probably start picking things up with him and his agents after the draft. So if you're going to have any major cap flow, he's got to be the guy you take care of, and, th and then you can afford to eye taking care of Orlando Brown. The thing that really strikes out to me is two-time Pro Bowl left tackles, or excuse me, tackles don't grow on trees. So, you know, if they gave up all that draft capital to get him, he's a guy that they're probably going to look forward to in the future. Yeah, Tyron, of course, was one of the players they brought in to, to, to fix the defense along with Frank Clark. And um, it's funny, though, when we talk about defensive end and Chiefs needing a defensive end, it's because Frank Clark hasn't been as productive as, you know, as, as the Chiefs might have hoped. Now, listen, I think the fact that he – you know, he played big in the Super Bowl two years ago was, um, you know, he's worth worth what they paid to get him and worth the big contract. You you might not win a Super Bowl without Frank Clark, but that is a position that they they are looking at, right? Defensive end is a, is, is definitely a, they feel as a position in need for the, for the Chiefs. 
Yeah, and also, I mean, just to add to that, you wonder how much with their current makeup of this roster, Chris Jones is going to be asked to play out there. They did sign uh, Jaron Reed, and they, they've obviously still got uh, Derek Nottie and, and Turk Warden at defensive tackle, and of course, Colin Saunders as well. And so I wonder if, if there's going to be more downs than usual where you see two of those guys in the middle and you see Chris Jones and Frank Clark out wide. And maybe that's why this hasn't been quite as big of a, a, an urgency as we anticipated going into this offseason. Yeah, agreed. I, I fully agree with, with Sam there. And even Amy Reed a couple of weeks ago mentioned that that just gives them the flexibility with Reed signing to move Chris Jones out depending on the sub package. But, you know, it, and Jones – started out of his NFL career on the edge. So it's, it's not like you're asking him to do anything new. Uh, you know, Taco Charlton's back on a one-year deal. Hopefully he's healthy, but he certainly showed enough last year before his leg injury that he could be an impact player. You know, they also have Mike Dana, their, their draft pick from last year, you know, developing in that role. Tim Ward, a guy that we got to saw a lot of in week 17. My goodness, the guy, if you give him playing time in a rotational role, he might be another player the Chiefs are looking at. So maybe the need at defensive end, it might be just be driven by us. <laughs> and the Chiefs might be saying, we don't need all that. We got guys in the house. Okay. Hey, let's wrap it up with a, with a thought on wide receiver, because we do think that that would be a, a target in the draft. I, I may be the biggest Byron Pringle fan. I'm sorry, the second biggest Byron Pringle fan <laughs> on this podcast next to Herbie T. Kansas State grad Herbie Tiope. But let's just put it this way. I'm a huge Byron Pringle fan. I think he has the ability to step into the Sammy Watkins role and the Chiefs not lose much there, if any at all. Um, even though there's there's nothing to in his production, career production to suggest he can be that player. What I've seen from him, big moments and he always answers the bell when called upon. I I've got more faith in Byron Pringle than than, than uh, many fans seem to. But uh, what, what do you guys think about the, even with that? Uh, would it would it be smart for the Chiefs to look at wide receiver and 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 start planning for the future at that position? Uh, I'll I'll leave my biased opinion out. Go ahead, take it away, McDowell. <laughs> I I think they need a receiver. Um, you know, I mean, Pringle may end up being that guy. I will say the times that he was given a lot of snaps, we didn't see him make four or five, six catches in a game. Um, I think he's well-suited to be a fourth guy. I, I wonder if he's suited to be a second guy. Um, obviously, you know, we, we we know the guys that they have, but if Tyreek Hill gets hurt, and we've seen – we saw him get hurt two years ago for a month, I just – I think that's a really thin crew. And so I still think that's a position they need to address. But like I said, I would be very surprised if they make it through this draft without getting a receiver. And receiver is one of those positions where you can get a, a guy in the second, third, and fourth round. Obviously, they don't have a third-round pick, but like we've talked about, they, they, they can move around. But you can get a guy in the middle round that can contribute right away. And there's plenty of those guys in this draft. My, my homerism aside, I will – Sadly, agree with McDowell. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you want your number two is going to be expected to step up and be your number one if Tyreek Hill gets hurt. And I, I agree with with Mac. I don't think, even though I love Byron Pringle, you know the case stater and him, but it's it's. I don't think he's that guy that you want as your featured wide receiver in the event Tyreek Hill goes down. So we're writing off McCole Hardman as a number two. 
I don't think, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, wouldn't say I'm like writing off his, uh, his, his ability or maybe his um, capability to improve this year, but as an actual number two receiver, he doesn't fit the, their X position. He doesn't fit what they asked that particular position to do. I mean, he's more of a vertical threat. So yeah, I, I don't think he fits, you know, the Sammy Watkins role, for example. And this is a big year for McCole Hardman, and they're in his third year. I mean, if, if you're going to see any improvement whatsoever out of a, a wide receiver, it's got to be in the third year. So this is a big year for Hardman. I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, when you look at this entire Chiefs roster, one of the most intriguing players on the roster for, for 2021 is going to be McCole Hardman. We thought he was, I mean, he had a really good rookie year. And you, you thought, you know, if this guy can improve the short and intermediate routes, uh, that, that he's going to be a very productive wide receiver. We didn't see much of a difference between 2019 McCall Hardman and 2020 McCall Hardman. And there needs to be a jump in 2021. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, there'll be plenty more Chiefs talk this week. And uh, Herbie, Teope, Sam McDowell, thanks, guys. And Sam, get better, okay? Yeah, thanks for having us. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the cap to Herbie Teope and Sam McDowell for stopping by and talking Chiefs. Links to stories about the Orlando Brown Jr. trade can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you. You can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass is the online version of the Star Sports section. You've got all the stories that appear in the print editions of the Star, plus many more that appear only on the website. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. It's always a great time to subscribe. How about the Royals? They're in first place in the American League Central, best record in the American League. Our colleges are always making news, and you know it is never not Chiefs season, especially with the draft coming up this week. So how do you get it? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news, features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account dot kansascity.com slash subscribe and if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers send me an email bkirkoff at kcstar.com i'll get you to the right place so whether it's the sports pass or the full subscription you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in kansas city and helping us produce programs like sports bkc thanks for listening and we'll be back on tuesday with another episode